I would ask that we remain standing for the reading of Scripture this morning, which you'll find in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 5, as we continue on in the exposition of straight talk about Jesus Christ. We begin in verse 21 of chapter 5, and we'll read down through uh, verse 35. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she uh, had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house to say, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. Some of the most beautiful and fascinating man-made artistic renderings are tapestries. When I say man-made, just think about these things coming from the medieval, the Renaissance, and the Baroque uh, eras as not being computer-controlled. I I find them amazing and beautiful. Uh, The reverse side of these tapestries is a tangle of threads and knots. But on the obverse side, there is revealed a magnificent, incredibly woven picture story. Well, with that idea... The repeated words in Mark chapter 5 are like a weaver's shuttle tying together the threads of the personal stories into a God-made fascinating word story. Uh, You may remember we've gone over some of these. We find repeatedly in these stories the principles that involve falling at Jesus' feet. They're falling at Jesus' feet uh, either in fear of abject terror or in adoring reverence. And this is expressed as they're begging and pleading with Jesus either to be apart from them or to, to, to go away or they are pleading with him to stay or that they can be with him. Some are wanting Jesus to touch, the touch of Jesus. For those they love are, are either wanting to touch Jesus and faith and belief in his power and person. And then in this uh, remaining two stories, there are daughters Daughters by natural birth and then daughters by supernatural birth in the family of God. And I don't want you to miss that by God's providence there are 12 coinciding years 
in these remaining two stories that we'll have more to say about. So in chapter 5, in the Gospel of St. Mark, as the Gospel source being uniquely Son of God, Jesus Christ is Lord over the living and the dead, even between this world and the other world. So what we've seen in chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel are that these accounts escalate the astounding power of Jesus over demons, disease, and death. These three stories are thematically grouped together. We've looked at the first story, the man in Gadarene, possessed by a legion of demons, and seen the power of Christ separating the humanity of this man from the demonic presence and saving this man, body, soul, and spirit, and banishing the demons. We come this morning to the second story, the unnamed woman who is healed of her bleeding disease. There's an overlapping of this story in the third story, which is the raising of Jairus' daughter uh, from death. But all of these stories reveal the greater power of Jesus to save more than the body. It's important that we see that in the, the gathering man, in uh, the woman with the issue of blood, and with uh, Jairus', Jairus daughter. Jesus is doing more than caring for and attending their physical needs. He's, he is uh, reaching them beyond just their body. You might remember in the first story, the Gadarene man possessed with a legion of demons. As Jesus passes over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore, so he divinely transcends the natural world and the supernatural world with his presence and power over the living and the dead. Well, we spent time with that story and pointed that out. Now we come to the second story, picking up in verse 21, through, uh, which I read this morning, the balance of that uh, part of the chapter. And there's a woman with a bleeding disease. So as Jesus returns from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, we're told specifically from the eastern shore, he returns back to the western shore. So by his divine eminence, he is present in this natural world with supernatural power to save body, soul, and spirit. It seems that Jesus traveled over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee only for a day or a night. It seems that he got there and the night passed when he was dealing with this demon-possessed man and the townspeople. And they came out the next morning and they asked Jesus to leave. So that seems to only have been a very limited and yet powerful and important episode in Jesus' public ministry that only lasted over a night. He returns back to the western side of the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there is a, a crowd that meets him there. The news has preceded him of his return. And then we have the Honorable Jairus, one of the synagogue rulers, who is recognized by the jostling crowd, and he's given way to Jesus. Look at verses 21 through 24. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, leaving the eastern shore, coming back to the western shore, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. He didn't even uh, get past the shore there before the crowds start thronging him. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So this Jairus, one of the... Uh, Synagogue rulers is recognized by the crowd, and even though it's a thronging and pressing crowd around Jesus, they make way for him because he is recognized as a public and important person as one of the rulers of the synagogue. He would have had previous 
acquaintance with Jesus because of Jesus' involvement with the synagogue there and recognized as a rabbi and even by reputation, the things that, that he maybe didn't witness personally but had heard from others as, again, he had his ear to the ground and would have been very much uh, uh, a part of that community. As one of the synagogue rulers, he approached Jesus. But notice how he came and fell at Jesus' feet. He approached Jesus in faith as one greater than the synagogue. And he came seeking out Jesus, believing that Jesus was able to heal and to restore his daughter. He gives this impassioned plea. Uh, Luke tells us not only uh, that this was a little affectionate uh, daughter that he had. Uh, she's 12 years old, as, the, as they all tell us. But uh, Luke tells us that it was his only daughter. He doesn't say it was only child but that it was his only daughter, his only little daughter, the diminutive term used there of affection because in Jewish tradition at 12 years of age, she would have been uh, past childhood. They would have recognized her as being no longer a child. But he received Jesus' full compassion in the midst of the pressing crowd. And then we actually have the second story that begins to take over. Uh, There's this overlapping, but then the focus is on the second story of an unnamed woman with a bleeding disease. She's hiding in the crowd. And she sneaks up on Jesus in hopes of being helped. So in verses 25 through 28, we read, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When uh, she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. So this unnamed woman had been suffering a debilitating, bleeding disease for 12 years that caused her spiritual, physical, financial, and social distress and ruin. The medical practices of the time were unable to cure or to relieve her condition, even though she had exhausted her money and she was getting worse. And yet, I believe time collapses when we read of this woman and her condition. With compassion, we can see that whether it was then or now, there are those who have followed the same course. There is some inability, even in current medical skills and medicines, to cure or to relieve. Um, Among us, those whom we love, within our own family of faith, within the extended family, uh, earthly family, and, and even beyond that to those we know either through our work acquaintances or maybe within our school or uh, our neighborhood. We know of people who fit the same description of this woman, not necessarily the same disease, but that they have been diagnosed with something that is incurable. They haven't been able to treat it and that they're getting worse. And So this woman, I believe, stirs us with compassion as we see her coming to Jesus. I believe surely women today can especially sympathize with her physical, mental, and emotional, and spiritual suffering. While we as men ought to recognize, as Jesus did, with compassion, we don't have the power and the ability to heal her as Jesus did, but we do have, through Christ, the compassion to care and to to recognize the struggles of others uh, as described even in this woman. Now, added to to this woman's condition that maybe not something we're as familiar with or that we necessarily deal with, but in terms of Old Testament purification codes, she was also ceremonially unclean, causing contamination by casual, physical, uh, or personal contact with anyone. And as the holiness codes or the purification codes tell us in Leviticus, for that day, if she came into contact with anyone, 
Just brushing shoulders with them or or, uh, in any way coming into personal and casual contact with them, they were considered unclean until evening for the rest of that day. And so she would have been restricted from the temple and probably the synagogue as well. As a matter of fact, strictly following Old Testament purification regulations, everyone she came into contact with in the crowd would have been unclean for the rest of that day, including her touching Jesus, even touching the hem of his garment. For the purification codes specify specifically that even furniture and clothing that she would come in contact with would make one contaminated or unclean. Now this may seem like overkill to us and it may seem way overdone and we may even feel that we have a grudge against God for telling us this and for the way in which this was dealt with. But I want to caution you about that and I also want to redirect you to how Jesus deals with it. So her condition caused her to hide in the crowd and to reach out to Jesus anonymously who she probably recognized by his rabbi clothing, uh, maybe rationalizing that if she just touched the fringe, the hem, or the tassel, of his uh, outer top cloak, that uh, that would not be as serious a violation. I I don't know for sure, but we are told specifically that she only reached out to touch the, the hem or more specifically the tassel that would have been on his outer cloak uh, of his, uh, of the garment that he wore. And so there's no suggestion in the text or in the context of the story that she believed there was healing power in Jesus' clothing. She felt like that was an avenue to her being able to reach out to Jesus. She believed with a simple, although weak faith, like a small seed, that Jesus was able to heal her. And I want you to think about that. Here we have a demonstration of the very parables that Jesus told. Remember what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, that it's like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds? But then it grows into a uh, uh, luscious plant, you know, as tall as a basketball goal. And so he also said that unless unless a seed falls in the ground and dies and germinates overnight, as it were, in, in ways that we have no ability to affect, we can plant the seed, we can't make it germinate, we can't make it grow. But wonder of wonders in God's created order and the natural laws that God has set in place, it germinates and it grows. Jesus used these examples just a chapter before in chapter 4 to tell us about faith and about his kingdom. And this woman is demonstrating a weak and little faith, like a little seed. But Jesus nurtures it to full bloom, blossom, and fruit of salvation. Now, if you ever feel lost in the crowd, or you want to hide from hurting inside, or fear outward ridicule, and you know you need God's help, this story's for you. That's what I say, time collapses on this story. This woman could be sitting among us. She could be one of our uh, family or friends because the reality is of her soul's need. And so I hope that we have compassion. I hope we feel connected. I hope we can see ourselves even in our spiritual need, even though we may not have the same kind of physical condition this woman had, but we can understand uh, in its moral application, more importantly, the need of our soul because we were unclean before God. Because of our sin's guilt. Because of God's holiness. We shouldn't hold a grudge against God, but we should seek Him out. And even with the smallest little faith and seed of faith implanted by the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus, in His great compassion, brings us to life, fruition, fruitfulness, and salvation. So, Jesus validates the saving faith of this woman 
and supernaturally nurtures her in body, soul, and spirit. Look at verses 29 through 34. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So Jesus validates the saving faith of this woman and supernaturally nurtures her in body, soul, and spirit. We pointed out that in all of these stories, it goes beyond the body. Jesus attends to the bodily needs of these people. Think about the deliverance that came to the man who was possessed of demons and the description that was given to us uh, that he lived among the dead remains in the tombs that he was shackled and chained and they couldn't hold him, that he cut and screamed and he was in this frightful and abusive uh, condition in his body. And yet, with the power of Jesus, what do we find him? Clothed in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus and healed and all remnants of that gone. Jesus cared about his body, but he didn't leave it there. Jesus redeemed his soul. Jesus restored him. And the man was a devoted Disciple of Jesus. Let me go with, let me stay with you. No, you go preaching to family and friends. You tell them what the Lord has done for you. And uh, we were talking after service last week with how in time to come we would find Christian communities along uh, the ten, in the ten communities, the Decapolis area. Um, and so uh, we see again the power of the Lord Jesus that reaches beyond the body. This woman felt that immediately in her body. She felt the healing. And it was from supernatural, not from natural power. It went beyond just healing her of her affliction, but also of redeeming, restoring, and saving her in body, soul, and spirit. Jesus' immediate response and his ability to find the woman in the crowd. Remember when he, he looks around and uh, to look around to find her. There's some uh, discussion as to Jesus looking around. Was, was he looking... Uh, knowing who she was, or did Mark add this later, that he was looking to find her whom he he found. But I believe that uh, what we need to really focus on here is that it's the fullest possible way that the Holy Spirit was operating through the uncorrupted humanity of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was fully conscious of his uniquely incarnate personhood and his mission in uh, contrast to the disciples who also needed a growing and fruitful faith. Because Jesus perceived, he knew that the power and virtue had gone out of him to this woman. And I believe the Holy Spirit communicated through the uncorrupted humanity of the Lord Jesus as he scanned the crowd and looked. The Holy Spirit directed him to who that woman was. I don't think it was some kind of psychological game that maybe she was flushed with embarrassment or whatever. People were thronging all around Jesus. That's why the disciples said, you're being pushed and jostled by every side. How can you ask, who touched you? But Jesus wasn't asking, who's jostled up against me? Jesus was saying, someone touched me in faith. The Holy Spirit directed him to her, and she came irresistibly to fall at Jesus' feet, drawn by the grace of Christ who saved her, confessing that she had been saved. And I don't want you to to miss that. I don't want you to miss how the 
fullness of the Holy Spirit operating through the uncorrupted humanity of the Lord Jesus demonstrates to us here that Jesus is fully aware of his unique mission as the Savior, as the incarnate Son of God. He's not in some doubt. This isn't something that he's trying to discover or figure out what's going on. He isn't puzzled here. He is directed by the Holy Spirit so that this woman's faith may be perfected, complete in terms of her profession of salvation. So Jesus called this woman to a public testimony of her saving faith and validates her as a daughter in the family of God by faith. As I said, she was irresistibly drawn by the grace of the Holy Spirit of God from the gift of faith. And she came out and she publicly confessed, it's me. And she told the truth of what had happened. And Jesus blessed her. Remember how the man possessed with the demons was far off in the tombs? And when Jesus landed on the shore, irresistibly, he was subdued and and ran to Jesus and fell at his feet? Well, in a similar way, Jesus looks around in the crowd. And when his eyes, directed by the Holy Spirit, meet this woman, she irresistibly comes to him and falls at his feet in fear and trembling. Not go away from me. Not, uh, are you going to destroy me? But Lord... I know this is what you've done for me. You've saved me. And that should give us great joy and encouragement uh, to delight in. And also we need to see that the disciples' faith needed to grow and be fruitful too. As as yet, they were thinking on the physical uh, level of things. People are jostling all around you. People are bumping into you. It's like trying to get through the turnstile at some amusement park or try to get on the bus or on the subway or try to get on the the tram at the airport. Move or you will get run over. And they say, how can you ask who touched you? People are jostling all around you. But no, Jesus was speaking of a far deeper and greater reality and level of faith. And the disciples learned this lesson as you and I should also learn this lesson. Now, we come to the conclusion of this second story, and it dovetails with the third story that we've already been introduced to, and that is the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, coming and interceding on behalf of his only and beloved little daughter. And Jesus was going uh, with him in compassion when he was interrupted on the way by, by this episode with the woman. Now, what is interesting that we're told is that the woman had this affliction, this bleeding disease, and I've told you about it and, and what distress she was in, that she had this for 12 years. What I want you to also understand is that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. So there was a coinciding of God's providence. Over the past 12 years, this woman had been suffering with a debilitating condition. This coincides with the 12 years age of this little girl who had been born and had lived in this family, beloved and tended and cared for and nurtured up for 12 years, growing out of childhood, according to Jewish tradition. At 12 years in one day, she would have no longer been considered a child. But I also want you to notice the father's compassion. In that culture and in that time period, the expression of the father, the earthly father's, uh, earthly father's love for his daughter. Now, even today, once again, time collapses in terms of culture and beliefs. We know that in regions of the world today, and even though I know that Islam was not a a going thing during this time, there were still cultural attitudes that were expressed in the different uh, people groups around. And in many of them, women and and, uh, female children were not valued. 
They were treated like property. I'm sure you've heard some about the, the Roman and the Greek cultures and the um, development even within various religions of that time. And there was a disparaging uh, of women and of uh, daughters. But this ruler of the synagogue, and I believe he was a man of faith. I believe he sought out Jesus in faith, believing Jesus was greater than the synagogue. But he also had had a transformation The Word of God working in him. The Spirit of God nurturing and affecting him in such a way that he comes interceding for his beloved little daughter whom he values, whatever the world says, but he loves. And he seeks Jesus to intercede and to heal her. He knows Jesus can heal her. He knows Jesus can can protect her and deliver her from death. And so I think it's really valuable, and I believe it's intentional, that the Gospel accounts tell us that This woman suffered for 12 years, a debilitating and long time. 12 years is a long time. Do you remember where you were 12 years ago? Do you remember what you were doing 12 years ago? Have you suffered with something, something that has carried on maybe, you know, along that time? You can mark a, 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 a certain event. Maybe you were injured or maybe you were diagnosed with a condition, something that you have struggled with. And, and whether it's t- fully 12 years or not, you get the idea that it's something you daily have to deal with. And this woman had to, to deal with that daily for 12 years. Now, in that coinciding same 12 years, what happened in Jairus' family? This little girl was born. And from all accounts, uh, there's no indication that there was anything other than a happy and good family in childhood. She had grown up 12 years of age, coinciding with this same event. And the, the inscrutable providence of God. And these are woven together like the threads in a tapestry that bring this story together. These stories and these lives over that same 12 years and now suddenly and unexpectedly out of nowhere. Like being run into headlong with a truck on the expressway. She's at death's door. And he comes to Jesus urgently, immediately. Uh, asking that the Lord would intervene, believing that Jesus is able, if you will come and touch her and deliver her from death and save her. And so he comes with this compassion, believing that Jesus in his presence and power can save her and will, will listen to and heed his pleading. So the dilemma of human inability in the natural world being powerless to overrule the unseen causes of disease and death, is compounded by the limitations of time and space, unable to be in two places at the same time. But Jesus' divine transcendence, which we talked about previously in His dealing with the demons and dealing with the other world, and Jesus' personal eminence, His being present and being there with His saving power, They're not compromised in the Lord Jesus by the dilemma of time and space. Jairus is at Jesus on the shore. Come now, please, my daughter's about to die. The woman for 12 years comes through the crowd and just reaches out to touch the tassel of Jesus' garment. And Jesus takes a moment to make her known publicly in her faith as a daughter in the family of God. And then coinciding is the message from Jairus' house, your daughter has died. 
Oh, what a dilemma in our human limitations and our inability. We don't even see the causes of this woman's blood uh, condition and her uh, continue hemorrhaging and, and bringing her low to not even knowing if she has many days left to live. And we don't see death coming of the 12 delightful years that Jairus' only little daughter was in his home and then suddenly falls ill. The unseen causes of disease and death that we are unable to change or even escape. But Jesus in His transcendence and His eminence is in no way compromised though He is Emmanuel God with us. That of course was then. Jesus was there. And Jesus turned and looked to Jairus and said, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Now we come this morning to the Lord's table. And you see, Jesus' transcendence and His magnificence as the exalted and as the ascended and glorified Son of God, our Savior, is not compromised in His eminence to say, Lo, I am with you always. You believe that this is bread and juice or wine in this cup? Your physical senses tell you so. And we're not going to get into the folly of human philosophy. What you think about this bread or this cup doesn't make it so. God's natural order of creation makes this bread and not a slice of apple. God's natural laws in creation and His order in the world make this either juice or wine that has come from grapes. It's not something that was squeezed out of an orange or something that was synthetically made. So what does Jesus say to us? I am with you. More real to you than this bread and this cup. I am with you by faith. I am with you in a greater spiritual reality. And no matter what you're going through, I am there with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You have little faith. If I could just reach out and touch Jesus, Jesus says, you don't need to reach out and touch me. I'm hugging you. I'm holding you. You are in the everlasting arms. And no one can pry you from my hands. You feel like there are sudden and fearful things. Sometimes you are afraid to wake up in the morning because you don't know what the day is going to bring. It almost paralyzes you. You don't think you can even leave your house. Jesus says, no, no, don't live in fear. Only believe. And so I believe these stories are indeed for us. I believe that time collapses when we get to the heart of the issue in terms of our humanity, that Jesus is greater in an uncorrupted humanity and the fullness and presence of the Holy Spirit that He has given as a gift to us binds us everlastingly to Him and we can never be separated. Not even death shall separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So I hope that that will encourage us, even as Jesus said to Jairus, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, don't be afraid. Believe. You know, this is the Lord's table. And so we delight in saying that the people of God are welcome. Those who have identified with Jesus in baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how important that is. It symbolizes the greater living union that we have with Him and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to us as well as the washing away of our sin's guilt. And so we can come 
We are no longer polluted. We are no longer corrupted. Jesus has fulfilled all the holiness and purification codes to the, to the minute degree. And so he says, you can come because I've made you clean. Don't let anybody tell you you're unclean. Don't listen to the, to the uh, lies of the devil. Jesus said, I've made you clean. You're clothed in my righteousness. You come to this Lord's table, but you come as a, a sincere child of God in all sincere faith and honesty, not trying to play mind games with God. God knows if you're harboring resentment or sin. The Holy Spirit is, is um, infallible. And the Holy Spirit strikes your heart and your mind if there's any sin that you're holding back and unwilling to confess. doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin. If we say we have no sin, we make God out to be a liar. And His truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and to forgive us our sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, having made confession and having an open heart, Jesus says, come in faith. Don't cower back in fear. Come publicly, like this woman, and tell the whole truth. Jesus, you are my Savior. And so let us sing in preparation. We'll turn to our hymn of meditation.